Hello, and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona, during our normal service. with you today. Um, so a few months ago, we started a series that um, dove into exploring just like our identity here at Papago Buttes, like who we are, what we believe, uh, things like that. Um, and so we're part of a, a particular faith stream, and it's good for us to understand that uh, so we know that uh, who we are um, and that our actions and what we do as a church align with our identity. Uh, because the more we understand our story, the more we understand who we are, the more we understand what we value, uh, the more we can progress with our story and continue on in our vision. Uh, the more, more we can better connect with those around us, offering community to those who are liking what we offer here. Um, and again, we're not always going to agree on everything all of the time, uh, but the more uh, we understand just like again how we function, how we think, how we process things, uh, that can make those times of conflict a lot easier and a lot better because we're like, okay, I understand like you know why we're why we're kind of doing this. Um, and so we spent several weeks looking at Stuart Murray's book, uh, The Naked Anabaptist, uh, going into various aspects of what does it mean to be rooted in the Anabaptist faith tradition. Um, and today we're going to explore the other theological group that has inspired the original brethren, and it's kind of stuck with us this whole time, um, that other group being the radical pietists. Uh, the pietism, radical piety, uh, the different kind of uh, terms you can use, but the pietists. Um, so again, we are rooted in a theological tradition, a theological stream called pietism. Um, and so Anabaptism and Pietism are the two major influences for the original brethren, uh, which have remained part of our tradition and our story and how we practice a faith. And so today we're going to do a very simple and sweeping overview of what Pietism is about. Uh, my intention is just to spend like a week doing this at the basics. Uh, but again, I will remind you, like we have that box in the lobby. If you have questions or things you want to explore more, you can fill that out or send me an email or send me a text or something like that. And maybe we can explore some of these things at, at a later date. Uh, but today we're going to talk some history. We're going to talk some beliefs. And we're going to talk about what does that mean for us here and now today. Um, so as always, we begin in prayer. So please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, to be gathered together this morning. We're thankful to, uh, for your word, and we're thankful for uh, the Beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, we're thankful for the truth of that in its original day, uh, the truth of that throughout the ages, and the truth of that for us here and, and now. Uh, we are thankful for the stream of pietism, and we pray that we could just, as we learn about that today, uh, we can better be your disciples um, and just love you and others in the process. Amen. All right, so our text today is from the Beatitudes in Matthew's Gospel. And so as, Ma as Jesus begins his public ministry, he has this long teaching that we call the Sermon on the Mount because he's giving a sermon on a mountainside. Um, and it starts with the Beatitudes, uh, these eight proverb-like sayings that Jesus gives. Uh, they're pretty famous, you know, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, they are these short little sayings that on some level, uh, they all set the stage for what Jesus is about to say and what his ministry will look like. Um, they're very simple and basic, 
And yet you could also spend a lifetime trying to dissect them and like understand what they mean and to live them out. So there are these wonderful things that are really simple and yet also like very complex and nuanced. Um, and the beatitude that we're gonna explore today that we're basing our sermon on is the sixth one on the list. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Um, you know, I'm not a big King James fan because I wasn't born in the 1600s, but we're using the King James translation every so often. We can pull that one out and like, hey, I like this one, like this, how this one sounds, so the King James gets a shout out today. Um, and of all the things that we could say about this particular beatitude, I think at its core, if you just boil it down to like really what, it, what it's about, it's a call to be open in our understanding of God. It's a call to be open in our understanding of God. That is to say that we approach the idea of the divine with open hands and an open heart, not a closed fist, not a closed off heart. Um, that there remains wonder, that there remains, there, that there remains amazement, and that there, there is more to this world than any of us will fully realize or see in our lifetimes. And so I think when it comes to just like how we approach God, how we approach theology, how we approach faith, like all of those kind of things, that we remain open in our understanding, not rigid, not closed off, not ever thinking, hey, I have it all figured out and no one has anything to teach me. I think this calls us to have an openness to how we go about faith in our lives. And really, like, this is one of the major tenets, like, when we study the life of Jesus. Like, he was always battling against people who were just so hung up on their theology, they couldn't see anything else. Uh, they often would forget about basic human dignity in the process. And we have story after story after story of this, various teachings and parables that are about this, about remaining open to the mysteries and the way of God. And the beatitude, uh, this beatitude speaks against the idea of a dead orthodoxy, um, which is basically what pietism was seeking to correct. It basically uh, is seeking to embody a religion of the heart. Um, I, I mentioned this in my sermon last week, but um, every new theological movement, every time there's a kind of like a new thing that springs up, it's very much based on a real historical situation. It's based on a setting that people find themselves in. Um, a person or a group, uh, they see, uh, see something like, hey, this is not working. And they are like, hey, we can reform this. We can correct it. We can uh, make it better. They seek a path forward. Uh, the Holy Spirit stirs up some souls to, uh, to kind of chart a new way. Um, and that's very much uh, with the rise of pietism. And so the Reformation happens in the 16th century, um, and all sorts of new groups are arising out of this. Um, there's also a lot of other like, things happening around this time. A lot of war, a lot of bloodshed is going on too. Um, we referenced the 30-year uh, war in uh, Germany in, in our sermon last week. Uh, that was something that was going on in the 16th century, uh, 1600s. A reminder, like four to eight million people died during this thing. Some pockets of Germany lost like half of their population. Like it was this very terrible 30 years of just terribleness. So there's all this f uh, fighting going on, like literal physical fighting, um, and as well as a theological fighting as well. All kinds of theological battles were going on. New groups were forming, and they were drawing very definitive lines in the sand of like, hey, this is who we are, this is what we believe. And when you do that, uh, when you draw these lines, it's very clear who is in and who is out. You're either accepted by the group or you're deemed a heretic uh, by them. And so maintaining doctrinal boundaries uh, became uh, more and way more important than the actual practice of your, of your faith. 
These things uh, became way more important than the living out of faith. And so the focus seemed to be more so on like, hey, how can we prove our neighbor wrong versus like, how do we invite our neighbor in and have a conversation with them? And so th- there was all this cold and harsh like, uh, like theology. That was the dominant force. So there was the idea of orthodoxy, right belief, at the expense of everything else. Like that was kind of like well, the spirit of the times. And there was this German Lutheran pastor who kind of looked around the world. He saw this dead orthodoxy, and he thought to, he sought to do something about it. He, he had a vision of a better society shaped by a religion of the heart. Uh, because the way of Jesus, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a life that's full of, of, of excitement and living, and it's not about bickering, it's not about gatekeeping, and it's, he, just, he kept seeing that again and again and again, all this bickering, all this fighting, and he's like, that is not the way of Jesus. Um, and this guy's name was Philip Jacob Spainer, and in 1675, he published his seminal work called the Pia Desideria. Um, you can still buy copies today. I have a copy in my library. I was reading it this week. If you want to borrow it, I have it. Just let me know. Um, Pia Desideria uh, translates to either pious wishes or a heartfelt desire for God-pleasing reform. And yes, if the word pietism makes you think of the phrase uh, piety or being pious, then your brain is working this morning, you're on the right path. So that's why we call it pietism. It's about kind of living a pious life. Um, As much as I wish this were true, it has nothing to do with the dessert known as pie. It does not have to do with apple pie or any other flavors of pie, even though I really want it to be. Uh, But if in talking about pietism, being pious, if this uh, leads you to eat some pie later on, you have my blessing. Go forth and eat pie today as you're living a pious life. Uh, But yes, pietism was indeed focused on living a pious life. Now, when you say that word, sometimes there's a negative connotation that can come from that. Sometimes like when you hear the word pious or piety, there's this idea like, oh, I'm so pious. I'm better than you. Like, away from me, you sinner. Like, I think in in our world today, there can be that negative connotation with that. Uh, But that's not what pietism was setting out to do. Uh, It was very much concerned with living a life in which your faith actually impacts the world and makes a difference. Again, it's a religion of the heart uh, trying to help correct a world in which lifeless orthodoxy, which is is the thing that everyone was concerned about. It was a kind of a living out of your faith. Uh, Because again, you can believe all the right stuff. You can come up with like the best creeds in the world, these like rigid statements of belief. But like if that doesn't cause any change in your life, like if that doesn't cause you to love others in the process, then like all of that is meaningless. Like you can be so focused on orthodoxy. You can be so focused on your right beliefs. You can be so focused on like having these Bible verses memorized that you're just like miserable in the process. And if you're being miserable to yourself and you're being miserable to others, like that's not a good place to land. Like that's not the way of Jesus. And so as he kind of looked around, as he kind of like saw the world, uh, he, he wrote this composition and he basically had six major points. Uh, he said, like, hey, here's, there's problems in the world, and here's, I think, some corrections that we can make in the process. And so up on the screen are the six main points he pre- pre- uh, presents. Um, we're going to talk about them, and I'm going to vastly, vastly oversimplify them as, as we go through them. Uh, but as he looked around, he said, hey, there's an importance, number one, in, in meeting together for Bible study, uh, to coming together to study uh, the Word. Uh, Spainer understood the importance of reading the Bible with others in in an attempt to understand how to live out and practice your faith. And I don't know if it's like 
technically true to say this, uh, to say that he invented the idea of a small group or a Sunday school, um, but at the very least, they popularized it. Like, that was not really a thing that people did, but they got together and basically started small groups. They popularized this idea. Um, and so uh, with those that embraced pietism, they took on this idea, and like nowadays, that's a very common thing. Uh, the second thing he was doing was to emphasizing the priesthood of all believers. Uh, that was certainly an idea that was in the Reformation, that really like all of us are priests, like we all have access to God. Um, and you know, like we're, we're living out the commands of Christ, we're practicing our faith. That's not something we just reserve for the clergy, that's something we all do. It's for all of us here. We're all to be reading scripture and providing care for one another and to be actively engaged in our churches. It's not just for the person at the front who does this in their lives, like all of us do this, all of us are priests to one another. All of us have access to God. Uh, point number three was that Christianity, Christianity is not just like head knowledge. Um, it's, again, how you live your life. It doesn't matter how much of the Bible you memorize. It doesn't matter the creeds you subscribe to. Faith is a lived-out reality. It's not something you just recite once a week and then go do whatever you feel like doing. Again, you can believe all the right stuff and yet entirely miss the point if it doesn't impact how you treat others in the process. Uh, fourth point was, let's be kind in our disagreements with one another. Again, you are allowed to disagree with others in how they understand faith. Like, you absolutely are allowed to do that, uh, but, like, don't be a jerk about it. And as he looked around, like, there were a lot of jerks. They were just, like, mean to each other. And again, you can be absolutely correct in your theology. Someone else can be wrong. But like, like, if you're being obnoxious about it, then like, you're not exactly in a better place either. You can be completely right and yet completely wrong in the process. And so Spainer was uh, trying to, uh, attempting to correct just a lot of the bitterness that he saw around him in the world. Um, and the same idea holds true as, like, as, as, as you interact with non-believers as well. Like, yes, share your faith. But don't ever hold that over someone. Don't, like, weaponize your faith against others. Um, and we never try to tear others down who don't agree with us on things. And really, honestly, like, a lot of our disagreements, um, they don't actually matter as much as maybe we think they do. His fifth point uh, was reforming theological education. Um, he just saw a lot of issues with, like, how clergy and others were trained, and he had just had some guidance, like, hey, here's how to better do things. Um, and his uh, sixth and final point was having preaching that connects with the hearts of the listeners. Um, and so rather than preach these very dry sermons with a lot of very uh, big and foreign words, like actually like try to connect with your audience. Like so he was calling out the clergy in this one. Uh, the goal in preaching, you're not trying to impress them. You're not trying to show how smart you are. Your goal is to preach plainly but powerfully. Uh, the goal is to be open to the Holy Spirit working in our hearts and changing lives, not to show off your education or how good of a, a public speaker you are. And so this is his list. And he, when, he, when he did this, he, never, like, uh, he didn't start out to say, like, hey, I'm going to form a new, de new denomination. He didn't say, hey, I'm going to uh, cause these church splits. He just saw a better path forward, um, and these were the reforms that he thought were needed. Um, but his work actually caught on. A lot of people started to see this and be like, hey, this makes a lot of sense. Like, we should do this. Um, he ended up inspiring a lot of individuals and a lot of different movements. List this here up on the screen. Again, this is vastly, like, oversimplifying how much pietism has impacted these groups. But my non-nuanced answer is every group that's listed here on the screen had some sort of tie to pietism. All of these groups uh, were impacted by this movement on some level. 
Um, all of these groups have some sort of shared history or ideology with pietism, whether they still embrace that now or not. Again, a lot of these groups have been around for hundreds of years, uh, but all of them have on some level been impacted by uh, pietism. Uh, so Lutherans as a whole, um, the Baptist General Conference, which is now known as Converge, like a, a very big Baptist denomination, uh, the Moravian Church, uh, the Ev Evangelical Covenant Church, uh, John Wesley, who started Methodism, like he was heavily influenced by pietism, uh, the Mennonite Brethren, Church of the Brethren, hey, that's us, um, along with many other groups. And again, when Alexander Mack, the founder of the Brethren Church, when him and his friends, his cohorts started out, uh, they were exposed to Anabaptism and they were exposed to pietism. And for them, it just, it just clicked for them. Like, hey, like, this is the path forward. This is the way of Jesus. This makes sense. We're going to embrace these ideas. And so they picked up and they carried the torch for these ideas. They decided it was important to have a religion of the heart and to embody these things. Um, so I want to go back, though, and, and, and kind of look at this original list, this original uh, vision for pietism. Um, because I've known about pietism for a long time. Like, I've been vaguely aware of it for a while, um, but I've always struggled in, like, I don't understand this. I don't get this. I don't know how to talk about this. Um, I actually grew up in the United Methodist Church. That's where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And honestly, I don't know if we ever actually talked about this, like, in, in the time that I was there. And we would talk about John and Charles Wesley. They wrote, like, our entire hymnal. Like, we were, like, we were big fans of, of the Wesleys. Um, but I honestly don't remember ever talking about uh, the idea of pietism. Or if we did, it's been, like, long lost to, 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 to uh, time. Um, but I've studied the Bible a lot academically. And again, again, it was something I would come across from time to time. Um, if you study church history, if you study the Reformation, like, you will definitely, like, read about pietism. It will come up at some point. And so I would read an article about it, but I'd walk away and be like, I still don't know what this thing actually is. So like I've spent some time reading it, and I'm like, I don't know what to make of this or what to say about it. Um, and being part of this denomination now, I've tried to make a very concerted effort to just, again, better understand who we are better understand our history, our theology, our polity, our policies, et cetera. Like, I'm committed to this thing. I want to learn all, all about it so I can, like, speak about it and, and live it out. And so not only did I want to preach about this topic because, it, you know, it's part of our faith stream, important for us to talk about, uh, but it finally gave me a chance to really dive in and say, okay, like, it's time for me to, like, level up, understand this thing, talk about it, figure it out so we can, again, continue on with this path. And I think as I was kind of like, kind of wrestling with that this week, I think as I was mulling a lot of things over, I think I figured out maybe why I was struggling to understand exactly what pietism is. I think it kind of clicked for me this, this week. And so this list up here on the screen, this is not an all-encompassing list of everything that pietism ever was or ever, ever will be. This is not a rigid boundary of everything that pietism will always stand for. Again, we are based in the pietistic tradition, but all of these things don't necessarily apply for us here and now today. I think what it's doing is summing up a problem when your religious outlook is just solely up here. It's, it's, it's saying, hey, when you're, when you're so stuck in your brain, so stuck in your head, like these are some of the outcomes about, about that. Like you're saying stuck in your head. When, when all you care about is correct doctrine, when all you care about is proving others wrong, you're basically like the first century's Pharisees. You're basically like the people that Jesus went up against time and time again. You're basically arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. And these kind of conversations, these kind of debates, they only go so far. 
And so when it comes to faith and living that out and all that kind of stuff, like to be clear, you absolutely do need your brain. Like you absolutely do need your head. You need to use science and all that kind of stuff. Like God created us as rational beings and we don't just like throw all of that away when we choose to follow Christ. But the thing of it is like faith does not stop in our brains. Faith does not stop in our heads. It, it takes root in our hearts. It extends then to how we live our lives. It extends to just how we treat our neighbors. And I think what pietism does is it helps to bring a holistic balance to faith. As we've said a few times throughout the sermon, it's a religion of the heart. And I think pietism helps to just bring a holistic balance to that. Again, this list up here on the screen isn't this, this, this rigid set of everything that pietism will ever be. So much as saying like, hey, in the 1600s, we're living out things right now, and these are some problems we see. We were using our brains so much that we neglected our hearts and our souls in the process. We were using our brains so much to try to perfect our theology that we stopped caring about anything else. We stopped caring about our brothers and sisters uh, in the faith. We stopped caring about just the world. We were just so stuck in our own heads. And we needed to let the Holy Spirit enliven our entire selves, not just our heads. You know, remember, at the core of the Christian faith, at the very core of what we believe, is that there is a divine who entered into our story as a human being. Like, that's the core. Like, if you boil everything down, like, that's the core of what we believe. Um, and you can rationally try to explain that in a million different ways. Like, we can have, like, long-flowing, like, dialogues about that. But at the end of the day, like, that idea doesn't just stay in your brain. Like, that's an idea that takes root in your heart as well. So to, to believe in the divine and that there is a creator involved somehow in our world, in our lives, like that's an idea that doesn't just like just stay in our heads. That has to manifest with how we interact with others, how we see others uh, who, are, who we believe are made in the image of that creator. And so this list up here, I'm going to assume as I talked about these things, like hopefully you were all like, well, yeah, that's a pretty basic idea. Like that makes sense. Like hopefully this list no one was like, oh, I never thought about that before. Like, this is like some pretty basic stuff for us here and now today. Um, but 350 years ago, like, this stuff was like a big deal for them. They hadn't really thought about it. They were kind of like, had their blind spots. Uh, it was a different time, and a different culture, and a different world. And so again, like the idea of like uh, being kind in our disagreements, uh, being uh, the idea that you should study the Bible with others, the, the idea that sermons should not just be me like reading this thing really boring. Like these are like basic things that we all get, but like 350 years ago, like those were radical ideas that they really hadn't thought about. Those were ideas that needed to be changed, needed to be addressed. And so I think that uh, the ethos, the spirit of pietism can be rewritten for every single generation. Uh, this spirit of the religion of the heart. This is something that all of us need to wrestle with each and every single generation. Like, how do we need a religion of the heart in our context here and now today? I think that's a great question for all of us to wrestle with. Again, every, every believer, every church, every denomination needs to uh, wrestle with that. You know, if, if Philip Jacob Spainer were alive today, like, how would he look around at the world and say, guys, like, you are using your brain so much. You are using your brain working overtime. Like, you need to get your heart involved more. Like, if we were to sit down and rewrite the Pia Desideria for today, what would that look like? Like, how would he look at the church and say, guys, like, stop overthinking this so much. Like, use your souls, use your hearts instead. 
I think, uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, one thing that pietism helps in general with the spirit of Anabaptism, I think it does help to balance our actions and our hearts. I think that's something that helps in our faith tradition. That is to say, like, again, we really, really, really like living out the commands of Jesus. Like, we get very excited about that. Sometimes we, like, say, stay stuck in the Sermon on the Mount and, like, don't read the rest of our Bibles. Um, and sometimes um, it's, we, we forget that we're doing this because we believe that he is our Savior and we believe that his message has value uh, for us and our world today. And so it's very easy for us to just push the humanity of Jesus and like focus on that to the exclusion of the fact that we also believe that he was God, that we also believe that he was divine. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about the idea that uh, of the importance of us for uh, worshiping and also following Jesus. And in our world today, we have a lot of people that would like would worship Jesus, but maybe like not the following would kind of like get lost in the process. And I think in the Anabaptist world, it's, it's reversed. A lot of times in the Anabaptist world, we are so focused on following Jesus that we forget the worship of him. And I think that the spirit of pietism helps to, again, bring those things back into balance. And so I think with, with Anabaptism, if you go deep with that, that can almost become its own version of dead orthodoxy. Because all you do is you, you care about like how you practice the faith. And you, all you care about is like, well, we are a peace church, they're not, so they're wrong, so I'm not gonna even interact with them. Um, so it's very easy for us to look down upon others who aren't quite doing what we're doing and again, that's not a place to be as well. And so I think that pietism helps to keep us in check in that regard. It helps us to remember that we are spiritual creatures who can connect with the divine. It's not just solely in going out and doing good works, that God is active in our hearts and our lives today. So, so that aside, like, how do we need a religion of the heart here and now today? Like, that, I think, is the question that pietism is calling us to. Where are our brains uh, getting in the way of the Holy Spirit, like trying to move in our midst? Like, like how do we need that uh, uh, religion of the heart today? How are we so stuck in our heads that we're not able to see how God is working in our midst as individuals and as a congregation? How can the Holy Spirit be softening our hearts and bringing a holistic balance to our lives? Uh, that's a great question to just ponder today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. And so let's have that uh, pietistic spirit continue to shape our denomination, continue to shape our church, continue to uh, shape ourselves as we're living out our Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.